defenders. Welcome to Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Andrew Decker. Hey, Andrew. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing Excellent. well. Things are a little bit different today. We're, we're trying something new, aren't we? We are. This is a first-time event. We've had we've had guests yeah. uh, previously, but we've in always... Our in our office. Yeah. We've also gone to their offices. No, that's true. Yeah, uh, Jerry Goldstein last right, year. Yeah. Right, but and we've also we've actually recorded it in a hotel room a couple of times. <laughs> that's yes, probably some of my favorite uh, interviews. Right, but today we're we're not only crossing radio or internet, we're also crossing time and space because literally our our guest is in a different time. He's in a different time zone. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's all it, it, still in the same state. Still in the same state, but in a different time zone. Who do we have today? Today we have Jeep Darnell with us. Uh, he's coming to us via Zoom, and we'll we'll turn this into a podcast. Uh, say hello to us, Jeep. Hi, this is Jeep Darnell. Good uh, good to be on the show, and I hope I teach somebody something today. Uh, hey, it, we need all the help we can get. <laughs> that's always the goal: <laughs> is we hope someone learns something. Um, it just be me, but yeah, somebody's going to learn something. Okay, so so let's start with where are you located? I am a practicing attorney in El Paso, Texas. All right. And uh, how, I mean, how long you been out there? Is that hometown? This is where I was born and raised. My dad's a, a criminal defense attorney out here. Um, you know, I always try to throw a little, throw a little good will at my pops. He and I work together. He, uh, he is the reason I'm in this business. Um, I've been back working with him now for, uh, I think this is my ninth year and criminal defense is, you know, our nuts and bolts, and that's what we've been working. That's the primary uh, focus of our practice. Um, everything from appointed clients on a misdemeanor case to capital murder and appeals and everything else in between. So that's that's what we do. Now, your name, your first name is Jeep, and I'm sure you get this question all the time. Is that your given name? It is not. I am actually uh, James Jr., named after my dad. Yeah. Um, but he figured out sort of when I was born that uh, I'd be real pissed at him if I had to go by junior the rest of my life. So if you take name, it's stuck, and um, the rest is history, I guess. Well, that's great. Uh, so how have you been surviving the quarantine that we're all under? Well, um, my kids are both still alive. My wife and I are still <laughs> married, and everybody at <laughs> our office is still alive and well. So, so far, so good. You know, there's some there's some touch and go moments, but we're we're making it. We're making it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of all any of us can hope for at this point is that we survive, that we don't, that our family survives, that our children survive, um, and that we don't end up needing uh, representation when this is all over. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm always afraid. You know, we're going to talk about the the executive order 13, GA 13 today. I'm always afraid, like, you know. I may be on the other side of GA 13 at some point if this quarantine doesn't lift pretty damn Exactly. <laughs> well, and that, that's the thing, right? Like uh, part of the reason I think uh, at least us three are surviving the quarantine so well is we have our projects that we're working on outside of, uh, outside of our regular law practice because that's kind of dried up. Uh, for us, for Andrew and I, it's our podcast. We've been podcasting a lot with some special episodes um, going over GA 13, along with some of the other executive orders, uh, and Jeep, you've really been focused and, and, uh, working a lot on the GA 13 response. Is that right? 
That is that is correct. That is correct. I um, so I'm a, a board member for the Texas Criminal Criminal Defense Lawyers Association, uh, TCDLA, and our uh, amazing president Carrie Donica has just been the perfect person for this perfect storm disaster, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, as soon as everything went to hell in a handbasket, Carrie figured out we needed to make sure we had the right people in the right places, um, starting with just making sure we protected our lawyers. And so the first step she took was to appoint a lawyer at a Kerbal uh, named Clay Stedman, who is one of my best friends in the world, um, as the COVID-19 task force chairman. And so, um, as any good friend would do, who needs enemies when you have friends, Clay immediately appointed me and, and two other great lawyers, John Hunter Smith and Nicole DeBoard. Um, Nicole's out of Houston and John Hunter Smith's out of Sherman as vice chairs. And so, our first thing we were doing was basically figuring out what lawyers needed from us in response to whatever was going on in there respective towns across the state of Texas. And so what we found is you've got all kinds of kooky things going on by elected officials. You know, DAs are coming up with crazy rules that make no sense. And, okay, how does the criminal defense bar protect its members from being subjected to possibly contracting this virus? And, uh, you know, judges have been doing the same thing. There's judges who are just blatantly disregarding the Supreme Court and Court of Criminal Appeals join order and say, no, you can't appear by telephone or video conference. You need to come sit next to my, you know, my court reporter who's got COVID-19 or something like that. So it's been right. nuts working with that. And um, so it's been, you know, Carrie, Clay, Nicole, John Hunter Smith, myself, and then, of course, the, the amazing staff at TCDLA who have been at home but working nonstop on all this. Melissa Shank and all the, all the folks at the home office have just been fantastic. But uh, then all of a sudden, Governor Abbott drops this order on us. And so then Clay created sort of a subcommittee of the task force with Betty Blackwell out of Austin, who is another one of just the most amazing people you could ever know in your life. You talk about yes. smart, Betty is as good as they come. And so she's in charge of that, but we were trying to figure out, okay, what is our response going to be? Kind of went through that whole thing. And then we figured out, okay, we're going to have a two-pronged response. Um, the first response was we need to start filing writs and teach people how to file writs on all of their clients who were affected by this order. And we're going to get into the order later, but uh, who are the people who are being held in jail for the on a, without being able to make bond for the sole reason that Governor Abbott said so. And so, um, you know, again, two more amazing lawyers, Allison Clayton out of Lubbock and Kyle Therian out of Collin County. Um, the two of them and myself, we started working on a, a writ of habeas corpus that just goes to town on as many constitutional issues as humanly possible uh, related to the governor's order. Then, so, so hold on, hold on. Oh, you sorry, go ahead. Yeah, you, you're good. You're good. But I have a quick question. So yeah. you you said the persons that would be were being held basically solely under uh, the Governor Abbott's uh, Order 13, 
And that right. would be persons who normally would have been given a PR bond, uh, either because at the discretion of the local magistrate or district court judge or county criminal law judge, or uh, because after, for example, on a on a uh, felony case, 90 days after they've been arrested, the state has not cannot announce ready. Correct. That's who, that's who we're talking about. Right. And, and yes, to be general, yes. Yeah. But the weird part is the governor's order is not specific at all. So all it says is anybody who has been convicted of a crime of violence or who has been accused of a crime of violence and um, probable cause was found to believe that they committed such a crime. And I'm paraphrasing to some degree, but right. the words crime of violence are in there. There's no definition. So right. is uh, a DWI third a crime of violence? Probably not. But is a DWI with a child passenger a crime of violence? I don't know. Um, I don't know either. <laughs> is a Class C terroristic threat a crime of violence? I don't know. I mean, if if I'm being held on a Class A possession of marijuana, and I have in my past a Class C criminal trespass or terroristic threat or something like that, am I denied a PR bond on a possession of marijuana of 2.1 ounces? Because right. Of this, you know, I mean, those are the so it's not only the people that are, you know, obvious. Well, I was convicted of a, an assault family violence 47 years ago, and therefore I can't get a PR bond, but it's also the people that we don't even think about in the general sense of violence because we don't know how any given judge is going to say or interpret the words crime of violence. And right. So that has even been sort of the, the more in-depth issue is who are we talking about? So, and we, you know, just for our listeners, we, we uh, Andrew and I posted a, um, uh, an episode going over, I think we did a pretty good job going over that like paragraph by paragraph uh, last week. Yeah. Was our, what was our, our COVID-19 special right. edition? Right. Uh, that was episode eight, COVID-19 special edition. Your rights are now suspended. And we went over a lot of those questions, Jeep. And so, um, right. uh, so, so you ended up uh, helping draft uh, a habeas and filing a suit that ended up being filed in Travis County, correct? Correct. That was the other half of what my good friends Kyle and Allison and I worked on was TCDLA is the lead plaintiff in a lawsuit against Governor Abbott and the Attorney General uh, that was filed in Travis County, as is required, for injunctive and declaratory relief, um, which is a really fancy way of saying you can't do this and we need a judge to tell you you can't do this. <laughs> so for for the uh, for the laymen out there who may be listening, why why is it required to file in Travis County? Well, that was, that was, it's funny you asked that. Not even laymen necessarily know the answer to that. So um, it has to be if you sue a, a, an officer of the state of Texas, in almost every instance, it has to be filed in Travis County, especially because you're seeking to have a judge say, this officer, the governor, the attorney general, whoever it is, can cannot do what they're trying to do 
And in order for a court to have proper jurisdiction over that officer, it must be filed in Travis County because that is where our state government is located. So um, in order for any district judge in the state of Texas to be able to say, Governor Abbott, you cannot do this, it must that must be a Travis County district judge for jurisdictional purposes. But right. they codified in the government code, and the reason that they codified it was because that's the it's sort of the opposite of the long arm statute. It, this is the um, the personal jurisdiction over government officer statute. Right. Well, it makes sense in a sense that you don't want to sue the governor and have jurisdiction be um, uh, Sierra Blanca or something like that. Right. Right. Uh, in, yeah. in Big Ben or in Kimball County, where you know there's barely even a district court. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And All right. So that's why it's in Austin. Cool. Good deal. So um, right now, I guess just procedurally, what what has happened, and then kind of just bring us up to what we're you know what we're waiting on today. Well, so on Friday, August, I mean August, you can tell I'm in quarantine time. I don't even know what month it is. Uh, <laughs> I'm right there with you. Today right, it is was April the tenth. April the tenth. Today is Tuesday. I had to look that up earlier. Right. Um, on April tenth, Friday, April tenth. There was a temporary restraining order hearing um, to put essentially a a halt on the imposition of the order by the governor, and, and more specifically, to halt the governor being able to enforce the order. Um, and we prevailed at that hearing in district court in Travis County. And then, um, because if when you file for a declaratory judgment and for injunctive relief, what you're trying to do just so that people understand is number one, you're saying, wait, 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 let's, let's hold off on allowing the enforcement of whatever this thing is that we're, we're attacking until we have a full trial on the merits and we determine whether we're right or they're right. And so the temporary restraining order is just sort of the first step to say, okay, don't let that be enforced until we finish the full trial. And TCDLA and the other plaintiffs, to include the NAACP and the uh, ACLU, and then uh, a bunch of the uh, county court judges out of Harris County, which is Houston, um, we all prevailed at that hearing. Um, the attorney general's office, who is the lawyers for and for themselves, uh, they skipped the Austin Court of Appeals and filed a writ of mandamus at the Texas Supreme Court on Saturday. And the Texas Supreme Court, along with the writ of mandamus, the, the AG's office filed a emergency motion to stay the proceedings. And that emergency motion said, basically, stay the imposition of the district court's order, staying the imposition of the governor's order. <laughs> Yeah, if 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 you, anybody's out there wanting to go to law school, go be a doctor. I think it's probably easier on your brain not to have to think about the stupidity of the the legal machinations that we deal with. But um, the Supreme Court says, okay, hold on, you know, we're gonna we're gonna have to look at this. So we're gonna stay the district court's order, which effectively stayed enforcement of the governor's order. And uh, oh, by the way. This is all Saturday night. We want briefing by both parties by five o'clock on Monday. 
Right. And, and we're not talking about any Saturday night, right? Anytime you're, you're, you're expected to write a brief uh, and, and a compelling brief on a Saturday night due by Monday, Monday at 5 p.m., that's stressful. But this, right. this was Good Friday. So the Friday before Easter is when the oral arguments were heard in the 261st. And then Saturday night, so the Saturday night before Easter um, is when the Supreme Court of Texas decided that they needed to have these briefs due in 48 hours. Sunday is Easter. Now, granted, no one could go anywhere, but you're still talking about, you know. Family time. Family time. Yeah, yeah. What, what most, most people in the state of Texas would consider family time, right? So, right. I just yes. wanted to jump in. It wasn't a normal weekend. It wasn't a normal weekend, which also goes to just how um, miraculous and wonderful it is that I, neither I nor any of the other lawyers involved in this case, have been the subject of the GA-13 order. Um, Because my guess is my wife was not the only wife or husband that was unhappy with me on Easter Sunday. Yeah. (laughs) Drafted away. None Uh, none of y'all are getting PR bonds. You know that for a fact. No. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, my wife would probably get a PR bond if she killed me, but I would no. not get a PR bond. No. For sure. Right. Right. Um, but so, yeah, so by five o'clock last night, um, four o'clock out here in the real time zone, in the mountain time zone, um, we had to have our response on file. Um, and, you know, when you file a response like that, it's, it's uh, limited by word count. So you really want to just blast away with every conceivable argument you come up with. But unfortunately, you've got to try and pick the ones that you think will work the best under the constraints that you're dealing with. And so we had a lot of arguments that we thought were appropriate, um, but we were limited to our best um, ideas going forward. Um, And the the lawyers at ACLU have been uh, amazing. you know, they always say the worst clients are lawyers, and they probably privately will say that, but they've been pretty good about um, working with the group of lawyers uh, at TCDLA who are trying to help civil lawyers understand criminal law. And that has been uh, sort of weird because that's also what we're trying to do with the Texas Supreme Court is we're taking a criminal law issue and it's being run up simultaneously through the criminal courts and the civil courts but the supreme court and the aclu lawyers they're not nearly as versed in criminal law as the court of criminal appeals are or any of the criminal practitioners that we all are at TCD. right right so. yeah and that is one of the things that um uh, i i found interesting and I, and I guess i want you to kind of clarify uh Andrew and I talked about that it has to go to the Supreme Court and why. Um, but normally, all of our all of our defenders that listen uh, know that we go through through the Court of Criminal uh, Texas Court of Criminal Appeals in our bifurcated uh, system. Why are we in the Supreme Court of Texas, not the Court of Criminal Appeals? Well, the answer to your question is because we got to the Supreme Court faster. But to explain why. The uh, the Supreme Court retains jurisdiction over all civil matters in the state of Texas. Uh, that is the, except for the Texas Supreme Court, that is the penultimate um, 
court that oversees all civil cases in the state of Texas. And so because we are in a declaratory judgment action that that we're what we're talking about right now, because that is um, the vehicle that has gotten there faster, the Supreme Court has the issue on a very limited jurisdictional question. Um, they may try to expand and, and talk about more on the merits, but at least the questions presented and um, the logistics of this of this appeal, this mandamus, are purely jurisdictional. Even the merits of the case, ultimately, on whether or not the governor acted ultra-virus, um, will have to go through the Supreme Court of Texas on that side. Right. Yeah, I know that one of the things that Adam Biggs, the uh, attorney who did the oral arguments for the state or for the for the governor and the general uh, attorney um, on Friday, he thing he kept coming back to the most was is that anything like this should have gone to the Supreme Court, really not even the district court. He kept pleading to jurisdiction, um, right. mostly because it was trying to to limit the abilities of the governor um, and the uh, attorney general. Um, and so so it is interesting that basically it's a civil matter at this point. Right. And I, you know, I respect the lawyers for the attorney general's office. I, I'm not here to badmouth anybody. I disagree with that sure. argument because I yeah. think the law is very clear, both statutory um, and constitutionally and by way of case law, that the, this is the proper avenue one of two proper avenues to um, combat such an over exercise of power as the governor has clearly done in this case. Uh, the yeah. other one is, is through the writ of habeas corpus and we can talk about that whenever y'all want, but <laughs> that's, those are the two, that's really the only two ways that you can fight uh, overreach or unconstitutional issues when you're dealing with criminal defendants. So, so, Basically, the, the briefs have been filed. We're at this point still waiting for the Supreme Court to issue their ruling on whether or not the TRO, the temporary restraining order that was signed by Judge Livingston on Friday, uh, still will stand. Um, uh, what are the next steps? Where do, where do we go from here? Well, it, I wish I was smart enough to tell you I know exactly what's going to happen, but um, you know, procedurally, what should happen is one of, really one of three things. The Supreme Court can say, because we have some counter arguments regarding jurisdiction, the Supreme Court could very clearly and very easily say, look, you skipped the Austin Court of Appeals and there really is no compelling reason, which statutory and, and case law make very clear they have to put forth a compelling reason to jump an intermediate court of appeals. They could send it back. They could, you know, deny relief and just say there was no compelling reason here. It's got to go through the appropriate channels through the Austin Court of Appeals. They could also say um, that there was no day. The Supreme Court could really kind of gut our position and say that, you know, we the district court did not have jurisdiction to enter this TRO. And they could even gut it even worse and say that. You know, we have sued the wrong people, which is one of their arguments. I don't agree, again, with that argument, but conceivably the Supreme Court could do that. 
Um, the Supreme Court could also say the TRO was impro improperly granted on some limited basis and send it back. And then we just kind of keep going through the process because you've got a, a temporary restraining hearing, then you've got the uh, temporary injunction hearing, and then conceivably, if necessary, the ultimate end of this case at the district court level would be the uh, permanent injunction hearing. Um, the likelihood of that getting there is a little tenuous just because of the durational aspect of all of this. At some point, the reality is, is that the governor's order may die just on timing before any higher court, any of the highest courts could really rule on the merits of the argument. Um, you know, again, procedurally, just to kind of give our audience some background and, and explain it to them a little bit. The other procedural aspect is uh, somebody, one of these people who are being held in jail, their writ of habeas corpus could get to the Court of Criminal Appeals while all the civil stuff is bouncing around, and the Court of Criminal Appeals could decide the issue on the constitutional grounds just as easily, um, because the arguments in both the civil case and in the writ of habeas corpus that the great writers at TCDLA have put together, um, they attack the very same issues. Um, and this is one of those weird, perfect storms where it's a race to see who's going to decide the merits first, if any of the two highest courts in the state of Texas. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. Well, it's just not the way it normally works either. It's normally very civil or very criminal. And in this case, we are in the middle of both. Yeah. Um, right. Right. In a time of not very civil, anything. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm interested on the, I actually, as you were speaking about the habeas corpus uh, for our clients that are sitting in custody, um, I, I could imagine a lot of a lot of jurisdictions wouldn't even hear uh, that because they would say it's not an essential hearing because it's a constitutional question, not a uh, you know I, I could see I could see a yeah. lot of district courts or or uh, county courts just basically saying it's not essential and so we're not even going to have a hearing on it until after the quarantine is lifted. Right. They could, I think, um, because of the nature of a writ and the writ statutes are very clear that um, without using the exact same words, writ, the writ statutes make very clear that a writ hearing has to be heard as humanly, as fast as humanly possible, and they almost make themselves essentially hearings. Only a district court in the state of Texas has jurisdiction to hear a writ of habeas corpus hearing. Um, and so... Luckily, we have not yet run into a case where a judge just flat refuses to hear a writ. Um, we are, and for those of you who are not members of TCDLA, I would ask that you know you join, not because we we can't live without you, but because the knowledge base and the resource base that TCDLA is, we're just trying to make every criminal defense practitioner in the state of Texas better at what they do and in this weird weird time the resources and the minds that have come together to put out information has been overwhelming um it, it's literally like a fantasy come true on for a nerd is <laughs> you've got just all these minds working together for one common good and 
the writ that we have put together, and I say we, I had little to do with it, the, the folks at TCDLA put together is good enough that whatever angle a judge wants to take, it, it sets up the parameters where the judge has to almost, without question, has to face the issue of whether or not they're going to abide by the governor's order or abide by their own constitutional discretion. And right. so um, that the writ is just an incredible resource. And we've put it on the TCDLA website for our members to just take off, tailor to their case, file and go. And even worse, I mean, whether they like it or not, we've been getting calls. And so like Kyle Therian has been in multiple writ hearings this week where whatever help we can provide, we're going to provide to the lawyers on the ground who are trying to do the right thing. Um, and it's sort of, you know, I keep joking as we have these meetings that we're just, we're just a, a good, good old uh, Southern hymnal that every day I wake up with, let my people go on my mind. And so, um, <laughs> yeah. yes, that's been the, the word, the, the phrase of the last two weeks, I think. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned uh, TCDLA. I mean, we've been, uh, you, you've been name dropping some, some who's who of Texas criminal defense lawyers throughout the state. So if that's not enough incentive for some of these listeners who may not be members to join, I, I think just listening to the work that's been going on the past couple of days on behalf of uh, TCDLA is, uh, you know, that that's reason enough right there. Oh, uh, it's been, it's been overwhelming. I mean, I, it's a good thing we're not on video because I'd probably start crying or something because when on Easter Sunday you have Carrie Donica, Clay Stedman, John Hunter Smith, Nicole DeBoard, Allison Clayton, Kyle Therian, David Botsford, every one of those people in a constant barrage of emails and phone calls, uh, Grant Shiner was included as well, trying to figure out, okay, what's our next step? How do we fight this? How do we help? every lawyer, criminal defense lawyer in the state of Texas, help their clients. Um, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. I mean, I couldn't ask or pray to be in a better group of people who are all pointed in a common direction right now um, because they'll give a damn about what we're doing. And that's the beautiful yeah. part about this. Right. So, uh, and I agree. I, I, I've, I've actually, uh, I have not read the written full, but I glanced at it. And I thought that is better work in the time than any one of us, any one of us could have done uh, all by ourselves. And it's right. part of what makes TCDLA so great. It's part of the reason why Andrew and I plug it on a regular basis is that um, we just find that the resources there are so incredible. And in times such as these, oh, yeah. right. it is even more critical to have a body like that. Uh, because we know all the prosecutor's offices are working together. We have to be able to stand united for the benefit of our clients and for the rights that each one of us has as uh, Texans and, and Americans. Yeah, and I, I just think the, uh, you know, the listserv by itself is probably worth its weight in gold um, just for you know, joining and being a member of TCDLA. That has gotten me through many a jam uh, throughout my work. No, sure. I, I, uh, Michael Malla and I are the chairman of the listserv committee. Uh, Michael's another genius lawyer who um, I just ride his coattails on a daily basis because yeah. he makes us all look good. But if you did nothing more than just read every email on the listserv in a day, you'd be better served than reading just about any criminal law book 
that tries to tell you how to be a lawyer because every one of the folks on there, it doesn't read books to tell them how to be lawyers. They go into courtrooms and they fight for the people that matter, uh, the people of the state of Texas. You know, and that, that's funny. That's what I always say. Like people ask me like, oh man, how did you, uh, how did you know what the argument was on what, you know, this particular hearing or that, or, and I was like, well, I do what all the other criminal defense lawyers I know do. They contacted Michael Mola first <laughs> and, uh, and got some, got some general direction, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, truly a great resource. And those, um, writs of habeas corpus for our TCDLA members, are those on the uh, members only section of the website? They are under the members only section. There is Melissa Shank's going to kill me because I should have had this memorized. There is a COVID-19 special page. And if I remember correctly, if you go to the homepage, there's like this horribly ugly picture of the Corona virus cell that really ugly like mutating yeah. cell. Uh, if you click on that it takes you to the briefs um, and, and included in all the materials not only how to protect yourself and all that is the the writ of habeas corpus and um, if anybody I, cha I will challenge all of your listeners if anybody can think of a constitutional argument that's not included I'll buy you a beer the next time we get to actually see each other and uh, we'll include it we will include your edition in the writ and update the writ immediately. Oh yeah. And so I just went to the website and just right on the homepage, it, it has the COVID-19 resources. Um, so it's very prominent. And then if you actually go to that page, oh my gosh, it's overwhelming how much information is on there. Um, yeah. So so literally you can, you could probably spend a whole day on here just reading all the different mandates and uh, right. uh, different documents to download and use on your own cases. Yeah. yeah, and the link takes you, it is part of the members only section, just so everybody knows, but that link takes you into a special page within the members only section. Right. Fantastic. Right. So Jeep, we, we've kept you a long time already. Um, and uh, part, of, part of what we do at the end of every episode where we have a guest is we ask a few uh, very simple questions, but we, we call them our personal questions. They're our little quirky favorites. Uh, and we sent those to you so you would know you'd have a chance to think about it. First, what is your favorite book or a book you've read recently that you would be like, this is, this is a go-to? My favorite book, which um, you can tell how big of a nerd I am, that I no longer have time in my personal life to sit down and read a book, so I have Audible, uh, which probably goes back to the fact that I'm an old soul and a horrible millennial. Um, my favorite book is All the Pretty Horses. And the reason for it is, is in any person's life, if they read that book at differing times in their life, it will mean something completely different to them. I bet I've read the book five times, six times, uh, you know, when I was in high school, college, law school, and as a young lawyer and, and a couple other times in there. And every time I read it, it meant something different to me because it related to where I was in my life. and. It's about a, uh, you know, a young cowboy trying to figure out who he was in the world. And I'm still a young cowboy trying to figure out who I am in the world. And I just happen to figure out that I like to get in a fight when the governor tries to lock my people up. But <laughs> find out what my next goal in life is when all this is over. Yeah, I, I am a fan of Cormac McCarthy, but I, I have a confession. I, I only like... I only watch his stuff when it comes to TV or it's been adapted to a movie. I, I haven't sat down and read 
any of his books, but I'm looking on Audible right now. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to download that one. Well, and the crazy part is all the pretty horses is the first in a first book in a trilogy. And you know, you, you got to like dedicate your life to reading the trilogy. Cause I think it's like 1500 or 1600 pages long. And, um, he's a wordy dude. Yeah. <laughs> he's a wordy dude. I mean, that, maybe that's why I like him. But people joke yeah. that I get paid by the word on occasion, but, um, the man knows what it's like to, to grow up. And so, um, in this weird age of trying to find our place in the midst of chaos, uh, there's probably some wise words that somebody can find from poor Mac McCarthy. Yeah. All well right. Said. Well, what's right. your uh, favorite band or, you know, like musical artist? My favorite band, Mark Snodgrass, uh, to name drop again, out of Lubbock. And I discussed this topic on a regular basis. Um, I think at the moment I'm back to Johnny Cash being my favorite musical artist of all time, because I feel like that's sort of the attitude I take on a daily basis is we get up looking for a fight. Um, another one of my favorite artists would be Ryan Bingham, who is not nearly as famous, but um, it's a little bit of, this is weird and we're, you know, we're fighting the man right now. So my, my blood is boiling to some fight in the man type music. I gotta, I gotta admit. Gotcha. Nothing wrong that. with that. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. All right. And then finally, um, uh, what's the best piece of advice you've been given either as an attorney or just as a, as a person? That's a tough one. Um, I think the best piece of advice I ever got was playing little league baseball. And it rang true when I was in college playing football and it rings true today when I'm a lawyer. And that is just smile because nobody will know what to do with it. Um, (laughs) And it was, it was an old lawyer friend of mine who's since passed away, uh, Kit Bramblett, who was one of just salt of the earth type guy. And I played baseball with his grandson. I'd known him my whole life and we were in seventh grade, I think playing league baseball. And I couldn't have hit, I was in one of those slumps where I couldn't have hit water if I fell out of a boat. And uh, Kit was at the game, and he was probably in his 70s at the time. He said, gee, when you go up to bat, just smile at the pitcher. And I looked at him like, you crazy old man, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) And he said, you can't hit anything right now. But he doesn't know that. And if you smile at him, he's not going to know what to do with it. So smile at him. And you know what? You might get in his head and out of your own. And lo and behold, I hit a double. So uh, I've remembered that throughout my life is, you know, I have been known to lose my temper or overthink things. But if I remember to smile, whoever's the subject of my ass chewing uh, might not know exactly what to do. And I might have them beat from before the get go. So um, that has always been my piece of advice I like to go to. I like it. I like it. And then finally, Jeep, um, uh, I know El Paso is, you know, to some of us in this part of the world in the DFW area, doesn't even feel like Texas. But if we needed an attorney in El Paso, Texas, or, or west of, of, we'll say at least Midland, Odessa, how do we get a hold of you? How do they find you? Well, my phone number is 915-532-2442. And we're still open, still working. So if you know, folks are getting in trouble. I'm here. Uh, my dad and I are still working, and we got a young lawyer with us, Chris Estrada, who's uh, 
we're still working away trying to save our people. Um, and then my email address is jedarnell at jdarnell.com. That's D-A-R-N-E-L-L. Fantastic. Gee, awesome. Thank you so much, man. Keep fighting the good fight. Really proud of the work you and everybody else at TCDLA is doing on all of our behalf. Um, it's really been a pleasure to speak with you, man. Thank you so much. If I could, if I could say one thing. Of um, course. I, I called Nicole DeBoard, Nicole DeBoard earlier because I'm not tough enough to try and remember how to say her last name. And so, Nicole, I apologize. I know she's going to listen to this. And then there was a joke that I had to say two words on here. And I got away with one of them, but I have yet to say the word prophylactic. So (laughs) there it is. I said prophylactic on the air today. (laughs) Hey, just so you know, um, for us to drop name drop, when we did, when we, when we interviewed Jerry Goldstein and when we interviewed Michael Tiger, we had to put big old E's on the podcast because they cuss so much. We couldn't not call it an explicit broad broadcast so yeah i mean it, that was like one of some of our first interviews we didn't want it to be just nothing but a long beep uh because those guys man they yeah. um they, they just don't they can wordsmith we'll just put it that way <laughs> they yeah. can't wordsmith jerry is one of my heroes in life he and my dad are jerry's a little older than my dad but there are two there are not very many people that you can go to to learn how to be a good lawyer like Jerry Goldstein and my dad, Jim. I mean, the yeah. two of them, uh, they, come, they come up with ways to say cuss words that I haven't even dreamed up yet. Yeah, exactly. They're well, Jeep, we... I'm young and they're not. They've figured this, this thing out already. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Jeep, <laughs> we appreciate your time. Hopefully, we'll get to see you in San Antonio at Rusty. And if we do, um, we'll buy you a drink. Uh, it, it'll be somewhere between a Topo Chico and a beer, depending on what time of day it is. <laughs> Sounds good, my friends. I appreciate it. And God, I hope we get to Rusty. As my friend Mark Snodgrass said the other day, he texted me, he said, I'm so bored. If there is a God, we'll have Rusty Duncan. Because I'm so bored, I went for a walk. (laughs) (laughs) If Mark went for a walk, we know it was a bad day. All right. Exactly. All right. Thank you, sir. You be good. All right. Bye. Bye.